Only she can help us. Our Lady and the Spiritual Life. This conference was given by Father Isaac Mary Relier at the 2019 Army of Advocates Conference in Seattle, Washington, hosted by the Fatima Center. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most compassionate Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin of the Virgins, our Mother. To thee we come, before we thee stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise our petition, but in thy mercy hear and answer. O Lady, seated wisdom and spouse of the Holy Spirit, St. Joseph, St. Pio, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. So, Today we're going to look at the role of the Blessed Virgin Mary in our spiritual life. And it's such an important topic because, just to sum it up, you can't get to heaven without the Blessed Virgin Mary, period. No one goes to heaven without the Blessed Virgin Mary. So she's the key. And she, as St. Maximilian Colby would tell us, she is God's greatest masterpiece and so what I like to do in the beginning, first we've got to know who Our Lady is. And so some people say, oh, I know this, I know it. No, well, it, it, you can't study enough about the Blessed Virgin Mary. And when you're dealing with such a great mystery and such an awesome gift that God has given us, His own mother to be our mother, you can't talk about her enough. You can't study about her enough. You can't. So I'm going to look at her privileges that the Blessed Virgin has first so we can get a deeper understanding of how awesome, how great she is. And then you start to see her role will become clearer and clearer and how important it is that without her, you're not getting to heaven. And so what is, where does that leave the Protestants? Really? really? They don't venerate Our Lady. And I always, I always point them right away. Open the Gospel of Luke. You're a, you Bible dumper. Let's go. And they say, what do say? From this day, all generations will call me blessed. I said, get on your knees and call her blessed. I said, you don't believe in the Bible. Then. And Our Lady in, in the Magnificat gives all credit. The Almighty has done great things for me and holy is His name. So she, you know, she credits our Lord. And so, we're going to, once again, go over the privileges of Our Lady. And don't, like, people don't realize, like, the essential truths of the faith. You can meditate upon them forever. I'll tell you a quick story. John of the Cross, who was a great theologian, he had another theologian join him. And so the theologian was complaining. He was brilliant. He says, we don't have a big enough library. We hardly have any books here. And so St. John looked at him and said, well, you know, I'm going to basically gonna teach you a lesson. So he gave him what we would call equivalent to like a penny catechism, a little, little pamphlet with the fundamental truths. Why did God create you? To know him, to love him, to serve him in this world, to be happy with him forever. Questions, basic things like that. And the man was not happy because he was a great intellectual. But then after a month, he thanked St. John. 
He said, why? Because he realized that these little truths in that little penny catechism, you could say, are infinite. And you can never meditate enough upon these infinite truths. And so even though you know that some of these things I may be talking about the Blessed Virgin, I like to brag about her and I like to tell you who she is. And it's awesome. And so out of all the privileges that a Blessed Virgin has, the number one is her divine maternity. All the other privileges that she has flow from the fact that she is the mother of God, truly the mother of God. And when we talk about the divine maternity, there's a great theologian, Gary Goularange, who was a Dominican, who was one of the, the, the top theologians of the last century. I want to quote him here. He says, hence, the maternity that we are discussing is not one which is merely a flesh and blood, but one which by its nature included a supernatural consent to the mystery of the redemptive incarnation which was about to be realized. And to all the suffering involved, according to the messianic prophecies, especially those of Isaiah, all of which Mary knew so well, there can in consequence be no question of divine maternity for Mary except a worthy one. In the designs of God, she was to be a worthy mother of the Redeemer, united perfectly in will to her son. Tradition supports this by saying that her conceiving was twofold in body and in soul. In body, for Jesus' flesh of her flesh, the flame of his human life, having been lit in the womb of the Virgin by the most pure operation of the Holy Ghost, in soul, for Mary's express consent was needed before the word assumed our nature in her. The end of the quote. What a, this quote is packed. This, this great theologian, he sums it up perfectly. And so we see that our lady, this, this consent to be the mother of God, he says once again, in the it's the redemptive incarnation which was about to be realized in all its suffering involved in the messianic prophecies of Isaiah, all of which Mary knew so well. You get these theologians today that think Our Lady was some ignorant little girl. She had preternatural gifts. One of them was she had infused knowledge. I mean, she was prepared, for, I will see, from all time to be the mother of God. So Our Lady's shown us here that she understood the prophecies of Isaiah and throughout the whole Old Testament. She understood him. She was not ignorant. And so when the angel came to her and he mounts that she would be the mother of God, when our lady, God was seeking her consent. Imagine, because this is how awesome God is. He doesn't force anyone. He wouldn't force the Blessed Virgin Mary. And he wanted her consent. To, to, to be the mother of God. How awesome. And so right there, I hope you're connecting the dots already. If she didn't, if they, you can't even think that she would say no because she would never. Her will is totally one with God. But our redemption, you can see her right away, is connected to the Blessed Virgin. Her fiat makes it possible now for God to take flesh, to crush the head of the serpent. Because remember, when Adam and Eve committed the, the more, uh, original sin, okay, the gates of heaven were closed. And Adam, we say, has moral headship over the human race. 
So if he merited, he either merited for us or demerited. And because he sinned, all of creation fell into sin. And, and so because that sin is an infinite offense of, against God, man cannot make atonement for it. Why? Because we're only finite. And we come into the world with original sin. And we're not pleasing to God. And when you see uh, all the fathers and doctors tell you before your baptism, before you become a temple of the Holy Ghost, the, the Holy Trinity, you belong to who? Satan. That's why there's exorcisms in the traditional baptismal rite. In the new rite, it's optional. and There's only one little exorcism. In the old rites, there's three exorcisms. It's important. And so... Our Lord, the only answer was this, what? That He would take flesh, the second person of the Holy Trinity, and He would become a man like us in all things except sin. And therefore, a man commits the offense against God, an infinite offense. A man, and only a man, can make reparation for it, an atonement. But being, but He's not a human person, He's a divine person. So he's a human being and he has a human nature, a divine nature, a divine person. So when Christ takes flesh, he merits in an infinite way everything he does. And so we see that our lady understood so much. She knew St. Jerome said the scripture is better than any scholar inside out in her time and our time. And then we hear so many blasphemies from our lady, even from the Pope. Some of the things that he says about a lady, that a lady doubted our Lord, it's blasphemy. No way. So, once again, he says that Mary would be a worthy, a worthy, uh, mother in the designs of God. She was to be a worthy mother of the Redeemer, united perfectly in her will. So, we'll go on. The dogma of Mary's divine motherhood is proved from the Holy Scriptures. Remember what we said yesterday from the great St. Vincent of Lyrens. Always check the Scriptures. Always check, go to antiquity, tradition. What was universally taught, always taught to all. And so we go to Scriptures, and there's so many, but we just take a couple right away from Isaiah, the great prophecy, 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, the great prophecy. And that pertains, of course, to the Blessed Virgin Mary. In Luke chapter 1, 31 to 35, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of David his father, and he shall reign in the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How shall this be done? Because I know not man. And the angel answered and said, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee, and therefore also the Holy which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So, my friends, since Mary gave birth to the Son of God, she is really and truly the mother of God. She's not the mother of God in his divinity, of course, but she's the mother of God. She gave flesh to him. And once again, because he became man, 
so that he could be, he needed a body to be nailed to the cross. He needed hands to be nailed to the cross. He needed a back to be scourged. And when our lady gave her consent, she knew the prophecies of Isaiah, the suffering servant. Most children come into the world to live, but when the Blessed Virgin said yes, she knew that her son would be coming in the world to die, to shed his blood for us and for her, as we'll see when it comes to the Immaculate Conception. So this is it, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Her will is totally one. And so St. Alphonse tells us, too, when, when at the presentation of the boy of Jesus in the temple, what happened is St. Alphonse of Gori tells us that it was at that moment that God requested the consent from the Blessed Virgin Mary to crucify his son. And you say, why does God need the consent of the Blessed Virgin Mary to crucify his own son? Why? Because she's the mother of the son. And just as the father has paternal rights, the mother has maternal rights. You understand how important how she's involved in your spirituality she has to be? That she made salvation for us possible because she cooperated with God. And Our Lady knew, she didn't know the whole mysteries, but she knew a lot. She knew the prophecy. And she knew how much suffer. she knows there would be suffering involved. And she still said yes. She didn't put stipulations on our fiat. And we have to imitate Our Lady's fiat too. And so, the great, there's another great theologian that I happen to like. His name is Sheban. And Medias Sheban lucidly, lucidly demonstrates the unique dignity of Mary's divine motherhood by pointing out three points. Number one, that it confers on her a rank vastly superior to any other creature. She is the pinnacle of, all, of creation. There's nothing above Our Lady except Christ Himself. She's above all the angels. And all the saints, as we'll see. Number two, that it constitutes her the very center of the hierarchy of the rational creatures. And number three, that it makes her an intermediary between God and the universe. So as the mother of God, she has a unique relationship, the Blessed Virgin, to the Holy Trinity. She's the daughter of the Father. She's the mother of the Son. And she is the spouse of the Holy Ghost. And that's where, where Our Lady is, the Holy Trinity is. Where the Trinity, Holy Trinity is, Our Lady is. And she has this unique relationship to the Holy Trinity. And that's why you want her in your corner. The Holy Trinity never says no to Our Lady. Never. Never, never. St. Maximilian Colby, one of the greatest Marian saints. Hopefully he'll be a Marian doctor of the church one day. I would say, you know, him and, of course, St. Louis de Montfort. These are the two men. If you want to read about uh, Mariology, these are two of the great saints that you have to tap into. <clears throat> uh, St. Louis de Montfort, of course, has the secrets of Mary, true devotion to Mary, and it's a must-read. And uh, it was prophesied that that book would be lost. The devil would hide that book, True Devotion, for a hundred years. 
and wouldn't be published. And a hundred years later, someone in his order, somebody found it on a shelf and dusted it off. Say, look what we got here. And when you read True Devotion to the Blessed Virgin, it's you. It's it's, it's almost it's like reading scripture, totally inspired by the Holy Ghost. It's beautiful. I remember when I had my conversion after 17 years being away from the church. I never so I begged our lady to get me a confessor, so she got me. A, I found a steady confessor, but I started reading St. Louis de Montfort because I was devouring books, especially on the saints. And I was like, man, this is too hard. This, this is too heavy. I don't know if I could buy into this. And uh, so I went to my confessor, and he goes, oh, that's not for everyone, that stuff. Don't worry about it. And I said, for Father, that doesn't make sense. This guy, this man is a great saint. So it can't be what he's teaching has to be me. I'm, I'm ignorant. I can't understand it. I need God's light. But he said, ah, don't throw it away. But God could, could use a jackass even when he wants and, uh, you know, so God used this man to help me, but then I came to a point where I had to depart. So I kept forcing myself to read True Devotion, and it wasn't until I came to understand Our Lady's role and how important she is. I never forget, I told my mother one day, I said, Ma, you know, I was like, I had this Protestant attitude. I said, Ma, okay, I respect her, but she's not my savior, Ma. That's totally Protestant. I said, I can't pray to her, Ma. I'm not praying to her. And my mother normally, she was totally devoted to the Immaculate. Normally, she would have been upset. And she just said to me, she gave me the best answer. She said, son, you pray to Jesus and see what he tells you. And I was praying a lot. And I prayed. And I got convicted right away. And I knew it was God because I didn't want to do it. Pray the rosary. It'd take me an hour to do ten Hail Marys. But that was a devil because the devil knows once you get our lady right, he lost, he loses you. And so St. Maximilian Kobe, you could get his writings now. They just came out with his complete, his collected works in two gigantic volumes. They're like a thousand pages each. And, uh, you could, you could buy it now. I recommend you get it. So he says, the Immaculate is our mother because of the following reasons. Number one is the common belief sentiment of the faithful. What is that? You see, once again, what was always taught, what's been handed down universally, everyone accepts it. Number two, Jesus gave her to us. We know that at the foot of the cross, he gave our lady to who? To St. John to take care of. And that represents the whole human race. She is our mother. Number three, she is the mother of the head of the church. Jesus, therefore, also of the members. Okay, she's the head. She is the mother of the head of the church, Jesus, therefore also all the members. Number four, she is the mother of divine grace, the graces of the Holy Ghost. She is the mediatrix of all graces, is the mother of the life of grace, of the spiritual life. We didn't get into that, and that is so important. No one receives every grace that is granted to any human being alive is always granted through the Blessed Virgin. Always. No exceptions. Number five, she is the mother of Redeemer, and therefore she is also the co-redemptrix, that she too merited for us at Calvary. She is the queen of martyrs. She is, her suffering is far surpasses the sufferings of all the martyrs in the history of the church. She, number six, is the mother of the Creator Himself. Therefore, 
also of all the creatures, all the angels. She is the queen of heaven and earth. My friends, in the Franciscan school of theology, we know in theology period that the angels were created by God in sanctifying grace. But nobody gets heaven without meriting it. You have to merit heaven. So God gave them a test. And what was the test? The test was that he revealed to them, the angels, that the second person of the Holy Trinity would take flesh of a woman and that she would be the queen of heaven and earth, the queen of all the angels. And Lucifer, we know, is non-servion. I will not serve. He was insulted like because angels' uh, nature is above human nature. So he said, if you're going to do anything, take take the image of me, you know, I'm a, I'm a great angel. Lucifer is a beautiful name, really. It means light bearer. He was the greatest angel that God ever uh, created, the most gifted, intelligent, and he fell. And you know when the angels fell because he wouldn't serve. He wouldn't serve the Blessed Virgin. What do you think he hates us so much for? He wouldn't serve. And he fell, and it's scary, my friends. We should meditate upon the fall of the angels much because they wouldn't serve the mother of God. They wouldn't serve God. They didn't have two, three hundred chances like we do sometimes. Some people have millions of chances. God has patience with us. The angels, because they learn differently, they have infused knowledge. God only gave them one chance. And when they said no, they were cast into the pit of hell. And hell, my friend, is a real place. Don't let anybody tell you, including the Pope, that hell is not a place. Well, Bishop Barron, that heretic. Okay? <laughs> hell is a place, a physical place, prepared for the angels and humans that will not serve God. And that's why at the general judgment, when you die at the particular judgment, your soul separates from your body, and you're judged instantly at that moment. And if you're going to hell, you're going to be cast into the pit of hell with just your soul. But don't worry, all the pains of hell you'll experience as if you have your body. But that's what the second judgment, when God comes to end the world, everyone's body will be reunited to their soul. And those that go to hell will be in hell with a real body. All right? So anyway, reflect upon that. And reflect how awesome and merciful God has been to each and every one of us. How many people have never committed a mortal sin? Very rare. Very rare. But he keeps on forgiving. But the other thing is, the more you've been forgiven, the more you have uh, offended God and you have reconciled, you better be careful because he may not give you another chance. God's mercy is infinite, but his acts of mercy are finite. So, Our Lady, my friends, is full of grace. We know, once again, from both scripture and tradition, teach us that the mother of Jesus was full of grace. Eve who is the mo- was the mother of the living, she became the mother of the dead because of her disobedience, the human race fell into sin and come. that's where we get original sin, right? But Our Lady drew her humility and drew her obedience, overturns 
uh, the disobedience of the Blessed Virgin. And all the graces that Eve has lost for us, Our Lady has obtained for us now. And this is the beauty of God, how God works. How does God work? You see that saving comes and how does He try to destroy the human race? Why? Because we're created in the image and likeness of God. The devil hates you with a passion. Why? Because you can possess what he has lost for eternity. That you, a mere human being, way below his dignity, can have what he has lost. And he hates you. And he wants you in hell with him for eternity. He wants you in hell. And so he comes into the garden and he comes to a virgin. Virgin was Eve. He first puts doubts into her mind. And then he comes with the big lie. And then she gives in because of her curiosity. And she buys into the lie. And that's it. And so what does our Lord do? He sends another virgin now. But this virgin is predestined to be the mother of God. And, she, and, and so this virgin then, when the angel comes, another angel comes. But it's a good angel, Gabriel. And so our lady, unlike uh, Eve... She, she does what St. Paul tells us. You must discern all spirits. And so when the angels say, you shall conceive, as we heard already, and bear a son, she says, how can this be? I know not God. And she was testing the spirit. And the angel Gabriel, of course, from God, came with the true answer, the right answer. The Holy Spirit shall overshadow you and you shall conceive. Our Lady knew the Scriptures. And that the, the overshadow of the Holy Ghost represents what? The Ark of the Covenant. Remember when the Ark of the Covenant could never move unless the shadow of the Holy Ghost was above. And when the, when the Holy Ghost would move, the shadow, that's, that was a sign. She, Our Lady, is the true Ark of the Covenant of Christ. Of Christ. So you see this, how God crushes the head of this serpent. He fell because of his pride. And he crushes a head through the Virgin Mary, through her. And it humiliates him. It humiliates him. So the, in Luke 1, 26, 35, it says, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named, called Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel being come in said unto her, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Who having heard this was troubled at his saying and thought with herself what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found grace with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and shalt bear forth the son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God shall give him unto the throne of David his father, and he shall reign in the house of Jacob forever. And of this kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How shall this be done? Because I know not man. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee. And therefore also the Holy Spirit shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. So when the angel addressed our lady, and the fathers and doctors tell us, she was at that moment praying. What was she praying for? The Messiah. She knew the Messiah was coming. Now, did she know she was going to be chosen? No. 
But she was in prayer begging God to send the Messiah. And he addressed her. That's her name. That's her, her title. Hail, full of grace. He didn't say, hey, Mary. No, he said, hail, full of grace. Not these translations. Oh, highly favored daughter. No. She is filled with grace. Once again, all the graces that Eve lost for us. St. Gregory, the wonder worker, says that the most holy virgin is truly the precious ark which received the whole treasure of sanctity. St. Athanasius says that she is called full of grace because being filled of the Holy Ghost, she overflowed with all graces and was overshadowed by the, holy, of the power of the Most High. One receives all the graces necessary to fulfill their vocations, my friend. Therefore, the Blessed Virgin Mary, sanctity far surpasses the sanctity of all the angels and the saints combined. That's a rule in theology that God calls us all to a particular vocation. And he gives you the grace to fulfill that vocation. Okay? He gives you the grace because you can't do without and so St. Joseph received all the graces he needed to be a just, holy man. And the Blessed Virgin, of course, received all the graces to be able to bear the Son of God and be called the Mother of God. So we come to the next privilege, is the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Immaculate Conception. In December 8, 1854, Pope Pius XII declared the Immaculate Conception. He says this, and I quote, We declare, pronounce, and define that the doctrine which holds that the most blessed Virgin Mary in the first instant, first instance of a conception by a singular grace and privilege granted by Almighty God in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, was preserved free from all stain of original sin is a doctrine revealed by God and therefore to be believed firmly and constantly by all the faithful. It's beautiful. So he's telling us that it was a singular grace that God gave him. All right? And it was in view of the merits of Jesus Christ. What do you mean? Jesus Christ wasn't here yet. All right, he grants her the immaculate conception, be free from sin, no taint. The devil had no power over her. And what happened, we know, is that God uh, gave Our Lady the grace. It was merited by Christ on the cross, but there's no time with God, so he applied the merits of Christ's crucifixion ahead of time to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And that's beautiful. And there was many problems. Theologians, even though they, some of them all accepted it because it was taught by Christ. Christ taught the apostles that his mother was immaculate. And it was handed down to generations. Okay? And so even Thomas Aquinas couldn't come up with a good enough reason, and he, he didn't deny the immaculate conception, but he couldn't solve, okay, how do we explain this? And it was a great Franciscan, Blessed Don Scotus, who basically comes up with the reason. He said, God could do it. It was fitting that he do it. Therefore, he did it. Okay? Simple. I mean, it's simple that people always say, uh, you tell when you're talking to the Protestants, well, if you had the choice to choose your mother or design her, how would you have made your own mother? Would you have not made your mother a great, great saint? 
What about God? He chose her. And it was fitting because our Lord can't be tainted with any sin. He can't have nothing to do with sin. So he protected his mother from the demon. St. John Damascus says, Hail thou, the only blessed one among women, who has repaired the fall of our first mother Eve. Hail thou, who art truly full of grace, because thou art holier than the angels and more excellent than the archangels. Hail thou, full of grace, because thou art more beautiful than the cherubim and more exalted than the seraphim. Hail, full of grace, thou who art higher than heaven and purer than the sun which we behold. My friends, there's not one saint that's been canonized that didn't sing the praises of Our Lady. There's not one saint that didn't realize that she's the queen of heaven and earth and that every grace they received, it was through the hands of Our Lady. And that's where we come to now that Our Lady is the mediatrix of all graces. Pope Pius IX tells us, God has committed to Mary the treasury of all, all good things in order that everyone may know that through her are obtained every hope, every grace, and all salvation. It's not Father Isaac making this up, that you, nobody gets to heaven without the Blessed Virgin. What do you think the, the, the devil inspired Luther and those other heretics called in the Protestant Revolution to despise Our Lady? Because he knows if you despise Our Lady, you're not making it. You you know, I grew up on the streets in New York, and I used to get into a lot of fights. And then a lot of times when I try to be good, I try to walk away from a fight. And in New York, all they had to do was say one thing. They would curse your mother, and that's it. It's over. <laughs> so you think God takes kindly to people blaspheming the mother of God? His mother? No way. No way. You will pay severe price. But she's... When people blaspheme her, she has a mother heart. And I always tell people the closest thing to, uh, to God's love on earth that maybe you could experience is a mother's love. You see how mothers, they have so much love for their children. Their, their son could be a rapist, a murderer. They still love him. That's her blood, her flesh. What about the mother of God? She loves all of us. She never gives up on anyone. She's constantly trying to convert, bring all her... Because she's the mother of not just Catholics. She's the mother of every Jew, Protestant, Muslim, Buddhist, whatever. Atheists. We're all her children. And many of her children are astray. And so, once again, he says this, that... I like. I want to read that quote again. Pius the Ninth, great, great saint, a saintly man. God has committed to Mary the treasury of all good things, not some good things, all good things, in order that everyone may know that through everyone, everyone, that means everyone, and through her are obtained every hope, grace, and all salvation. Leo the Thirteenth, another great pope writes nothing at all of that great grace which the Lord brought us is imparted to us except through Mary. Okay? St. Bernardine of Siena teaches every grace that is communicated to this world, to the world, he's saying, has a threefold cause. 
For by excellent audit it is dispensed from God to Christ, God the Father Christ, from Christ to the Virgin, and from the Virgin to us. This is the order that God has established. Don't mess with God's order. Don't fight God's ways. But this is the order that God has chosen. God could have redeemed us in another way, but guess what? He didn't. He chose to redeem us through the Blessed Virgin Mary. And therefore, nobody should have the audacity to question the ways of God. And when God does it, He does it the most perfect way. And she is the perfect way. The gate of heaven. Pius twelfth taught, Nothing is excluded from her dominion. And it is the will of God that we obtain all favors from Mary. The will of God. So, whether you like it or not, God says, you're not getting to me unless you come through the mother. And if you've got a problem with that, guess what? You have a problem. <laughs> a big one. <laughs> you're not making it. But how can you look at, how can you come to know the Blessed Virgin Mary? How do you come to study her? And, and all she could do, she's just so beautiful. How can you reject her? She's not there scolding us. Jesus is merciful. We always, that's all we hear today. Mercy much. But people don't know that Jesus' mercy is not separated from his justice. It's not. And so he's, once again, never forget this. It's one of the most important things. His mercy is infinite. So no matter how many mortal sins, you could commit billions of them. And if you have the privilege and the grace to go to confession to a priest and, and you, you have sorrow for your sins and you get absolution and you have amendment of life, all those sins are wiped away. All of them. But, once again... His acts of mercy are finite. That's why I tell people all the time, today you hear the voice of the Lord, harden not your heart. If you're a mortal sin, anyone in here, don't leave this conference without seeing a priest because you may not get another chance. I always tell in my mission that story of a man, and it's a true story. He was a, a championship diver. I love this story. And so he wanted to go diving one night into his complex when nobody was there. So he walked in, and there was a skylight, and normally the, the, the light from the moon is shining through. And so what happened was it was cloudy, so it was really dark in there. And so he didn't want to put the lights on because he didn't want anyone to know he was in there. So he climbs up this high diving board, 40 feet at least, whatever it was, and he says he puts his, turns his back towards the pool. He puts his arms out in the form of a cross. He's ready to make his dive. And all of a sudden, the clouds cleared up. And the moonlight came through the building, and there was an image from his hands out of a cross right in front of the wall on him. And he said that he received such an extraordinary grace at that moment that he, 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 he dropped down to his knees, and he realized what, what a wicked life he was living. He was living in mortal sin. And he wept for his sins, and he begged God to give him mercy. He promised he'd go to confession right away. Now, you could fool me, maybe, but you're not going to fool the Lord. He knows your heart if it's sincere. And so he wept, he said, for a while, and he got up then, and he was determined to change his life, and God knew he was sincere. And when he put his arms out again, he went to lift his leg up. All of a sudden, a janitor came in and flicked the light. 
And when the light went on, he was stunned because he saw down below him. There was no water in the pool. They drained it. So what is that? This is, this is such an important lesson. So what, if he didn't, like I said, today you hear the voice, I'm not like heart. When our Lord convicted him of his sins, if he would have said at that moment, you know what, I'm going to go do the, whatever, I'll get drunk tonight, I'm going to go with this girl or whatever he was doing, he would have dove, cracked his head, and went straight to the pits of hell. That was his last chance at that moment. And so, yes, so my point is Jesus is merciful, but his acts of mercy are finite. But guess what? That's why it's so great that we have a mother like Our Lady. She only has one role. And it's only mercy, not justice. Mercy, mercy, mercy. And she goes before her son. Her son never tells her no. And so I told the story, and I'll sum it up real quick too, another one. Because these true stories, I think, really help you understand. You see grace in action. It gives you hope. It inspires you. And the last conference I gave was, uh, I had a tough subject, no salvation outside the Holy Roman Catholic Church. That drives people nuts, even traditionalists. You know, oh, God is so cruel. Why would he do that? It's all, it's, it makes plenty of sense. So I told a story of blessed Augustine Cohen. Cohen sounds Jewish, huh? <laughs> he was a Jew. And uh, he, was an, he was a non-practicing, he may even be an atheistic Jew, I forgot. But he was a, he was a great organist. And, uh, and so one day, the Catholic Church needed him to play during benediction. So he went, and he loved to play. And when the priest elevated the host and the monstrance to give the benediction, the blessing, he was penetra- our Lord penetrated him in his interior, and he revealed to him who he was. He was driven down to his knees and was converted. And he became a Carmelite priest. His name was Henry Cohen. He became Augustine Cohen. And, and then he was weeping for his mother every day. Please, blessed mother, convert my mother. She's a Jew. She's going to, outside the church, she's going to die and go to hell. Who wants it? You, you think about your mother's going to die and go to hell? It's got to break your heart. But he knew what the church teaches. So he would consecrate his mother, his Jewish mother, to the Blessed Virgin every day, hundreds of times. But she died. And there was no sign that she didn't get a Catholic priest and come to church. So if you're a Fenianite, you probably say, oh, she's burning in hell. <laughs> but no. So make a long story short, John Vianney was, well, I think John Vianney, he went to confession to him when John Vianney put his hand on him and said, no, don't worry, my son. You will receive a letter in the future on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception that will bring you peace. Six years later, he receives that letter. Six years later. And the letter was from this great mystic who was a very known mystic. She was approved by bishops at that time and priests. So she was a real deal. And she told her that this lady came to her and said, she knew uh, Father Cohen said, how can God do that to Father Cohen? Doesn't God says he'll give you a heart's desire. If you pray, seek, you shall find. Knock, the door shall be open. Why did his mother not convert? And so the mystic went into prayer and God was not happy with that lady. He said she always tries to 
enter where she has no business of going, seeking mysteries that she has no business to understand. But I, because I am merciful, will show you. So he shows the mystic that on her deathbed, the Jewish mother, Mrs. Cohen, was on her way to, is ready to die and ready to be cast into the pit of hell. And what happened was, a lady went before her son and said, Son, this woman belongs to me. My faithful son, Father Cohen, has consecrated his mother to me every day. Every day. She must be saved. She is mine. And our Lord said, that's it. Gave her grace, Mrs. Cohen. She made this perfect act of love. She accepted God. She understood everything, the church. Uh, and she accepted that, and she died in the church, in the bosom of the church. She was saved in and through the church and the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's the power of Our Lady. That is the power. She is unbelievable. How many here have brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers away from the church? And that story I tell too because it's so important. That's the one thing I want to preach about more than anything, that we have to consecrate ourselves to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Consecration is everything. And then I always was taught that you could only consecrate yourself, and then you could, if you're parents, you could, you have maternal, paternal, maternal and paternal rights, you're allowed to consecrate your children. But that was it, I was taught. It made sense. And now, after learning about it, Blessed Cohen, I consecrate everyone. My enemies, <laughs> uh, everyone, you know. And that's it. So you could consecrate these loved ones of yours that are fed. And I tell mothers, mothers, uh, their hearts are always breaking. My mother had to pray 17 years for me to come back to God. 17 years. When she dropped me off at the seminary, she says, I have to tell you something, son. I said, what? So I never told you this before because I didn't want you to do my will. I don't want to put pressure on you. But I consecrated you in my womb to the Blessed Virgin to be a priest if you were male. And then she said when you were born, I renewed it. And then she wrote to Padre Pio to be a spiritual daughter. He accepted it. And she said, please pray for my son James to be a priest. And she got a letter back, and he accepted her and said, told her I'd be a priest one day. She never told me. And I almost came close to death many times. I mean, bad motorcycle accidents, car, flipping over cars. When I flipped over one car once, I was hydroplaning, doing 360s on a highway, climbed up the side of a tunnel. This girl got thrown in the back. My driver's seat, if I had my seatbelt on, I would have been cut literally in half. A lady had her hand on me because my mother consecrated me. You consecrate your mother, consecrate your father, anyone. And that's it. When you're having trouble with your son, say, Blessed Mother, he's more yours than mine. Take care of him. I, you know, take care of him. Renew those consecrations every day. I consecrate now my brothers and sisters that are well, I have two brothers, or one brother, two brothers away from the faith, one sister. Even though my mother consecrated every day at that altar, I put them in the chalice. I consecrate them by name. Do that. And you'll see. Once you consecrate yourself to the Blessed Mother or someone else, that person becomes the possession and property of Our Lady. Our Lady does not lose what belongs to her because the son won't have it. You, he, I mean, when my mother was alive, I'd do anything for her. And who am I, just a, a human being? 
How much more the love of God? How can he say no? He doesn't say no to the mother. And so we must go to the blessed, uh, to God the way God has come to us. Okay? This is really important. And so how does God come to us? He comes to us he, through the Blessed Virgin Mary. Once again, Christ is the, mystic, the head of the mystical body of the church. It's Christ, the head. Everything flows from the head. What, and then we that are baptized uh, make up the body. But what connects the head to the body? The neck. Without the neck, there's no connection. Our lady, she has a title. She's called the Ladder of Heaven. And we could see a great story about St. Francis of Assisi. He had this vision one night. And his, all his brothers, they were going up, trying to get up to heaven. So there was this ladder, and they're climbing up the ladder. And some friars were going all the way up to the top, and once they get to the top, they were falling off. And he was frustrated. He goes, how come my brothers ain't getting into heaven? And then all of a sudden, our lady calls St. Francis, and she's next to the other ladder. She put a ladder. She says, Francis, send your brothers up my ladder. And all the brothers that went up her ladder went right in, right in. And that's how it works. Why? Because, once again, the devil has no power over her. None. None. So you consecrate yourself, you're giving yourself totally. I say, every day I renew my consecration. They bless my, I renew my consecration, I give myself totally to you. My body, my soul, my mind, my will, my intellect. Do me what you will in this world and in the next. That's St. Maximilian Colby. St. Louis de Montfort used to use the word, be a slave of the Immaculate. We don't understand that terminology these days. So Maximilian, in his time, said, people understand better, let me be your property, your possession. And that's what we are. So we want to consecrate. When we consecrate ourselves to the Blessed Mother, it is such a freeing, freeing uh, experience because when you do all your prayers, when you wake up, you do your morning offering, you give everything to Our Lady. You go, everything is hers. All the graces you receive, you give everything back to her. All the Holy Communion you receive, you say, Blessed Mother. Say, Maximilian Colby had this prayer, may, may I be transubstantiated into you there, Blessed Virgin, and form me then into Jesus crucified. All right? Form me into Jesus crucified. It's a beautiful prayer. So all the merit you received, because when you're in a state of grace, you accumulate merit for everything you do. If you're not in grace, we were talking at the table the other day or last night to somebody, if you're in the state, you're not in a state of grace, you could be the biggest philanthropist in the world. You could give, say, $100 billion away. You get no merit, none. Because you can't merit in mortal sin. You can't. But when you're in a state of sanctifying grace, you can merit. And so when we do any kind, and when you pray to Rosie, you say, Blessed Mother, I offer this Rosie up to you. It's all hers. And I, in the beginning, I used to get nervous. I said, but i got to pray for my brother my sister to be converted. And so I would want to offer a rosary, this rosary for my brother, my sister. And then it was so much better because what happens is when we give it all to Our Lady, I still tell her, don't forget... Uh, those two clowns. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, I, I beg her, you know. I still, I give, I said, please, I pray for the conversion, but it's hard to do. And why? St. Louis de Montfort tells us that Our Lady, 
whole thing is to glorify God right now. And she knows what will glorify God more than anything at this moment. So if you do an act of charity, say you, you're, you, you work with someone and you don't like that person, and you say, you know what, I'm going to do a nice act for this person, even though I, instead of spilling a cup of coffee on them, I'll, you know, <laughs> I'll bring them a cup of coffee with a smile. And if you, if you think something so minute like that is, is, is ridiculous, but it's not. An act like that out of love, it's not what you do with the love you do. If you give that to the Blessed Virgin, she knows, she may know someone's dying in Russia right now that God wants in heaven. And then when you give her the grace, St. Louis to Montfort, the merit that you receive, because she's the Blessed Virgin, she purifies it now. Because our motives are mixed. We don't have pure motives. But once it becomes our ladies, she purifies it. And now she gets rid of all impurities or in motives that are not pure. Now it's hers. And she goes to the sun with that merit. And she gets what she wants. Luz Tamafa uses the analogy of a king sitting on the throne. And at his right is his queen, of course. And these people are coming up, these dignified people with gifts for the king. And he's very happy. He greets them. But the queen notices that down the line there's this peasant in rags. And the peasant has this little shabby apple. And the queen says, this king, my king ain't going to accept that. No way. So the queen excuses herself, goes to the, to the, to the peasant, say, come with me. And she takes the apple. She says, this is, I'll bring you to the king. I'll escort you. And then she shined the apple up, made it bright, rosy red, shiny. And the king, because she sees the queen bringing up the peasant, accepts it because the queen offers it and now the apple's all pure well that that peasant in rags is us in our sins and our lady does this for us she's she's so awesome she'll never turn you away she's there just waiting for you and so we want to consecrate ourselves to the blessed virgin the lady she came at fatima she's came many times some people I laugh. Some people think like uh, the Blessed Virgin of Fatima is different than uh, Lady of La Salette or, or no, it's the same Blessed Mother. I assure you, you know. <laughs> and you know the miraculous medal. It's Our Lady, the same Blessed Mother. But our Lord sends her to her. Why? Because she's a mother, and she wants her children. She wants us in heaven more than we want to be in heaven. What mother wants her children to go to hell? I never met a mother yet. Yeah, there's some. They're pretty bad, though. They'll curse their children to help. But the average mother weeps for their children when they live in wicked lives. She wants us in heaven. She wants us in heaven. And she has all the graces already. And so in the Miraculous Meadow, when St. Catherine of Siena, when, uh, not, uh, uh, St. Catherine, uh, what's yeah, La Bure, she, uh, she, when she came down, our lady showed her, our lady had her hands out. And that's the miraculous medal. All these rays coming out of her hand. She says, what are those rays? Beautiful, different color. So these are special graces I want to give to my children. All they have to do is come to me. That's all they have to do. Come to me. And I shall give you the graces. So I tell people, and some people are amazed. How many people say, Father, you know, I don't... I don't want to go to Our Lady and or Our Lord with these petty things. I said, there's nothing too petty for Our Lord. We insult Him when we think like that. So I tell people, you go to Our, Lord, our Lady for everything. 
No matter how minute it is, it's not. It can mean a difference to your salvation. But go to her too with big things. Tell her you want to be a great saint. Tell her you want to be the greatest saint that God ever had on earth. Beg her for these graces. And she'll give them to you. And so our lady comes too many times and she told us once again at Fadman, what did she tell us? She gave us the peace plan. Pray, do penance, pray the rosary. We heard from Susan, you know, St. Francisco, uh, he, what happened? You must do many rosaries. If he had to do many rosaries, that innocent little boy, how many do you have to do? <laughs> you better have a perpetual rosary going, my friend. <laughs> And so she comes, she's telling us. So these things that she's telling us to do in Fatima, she came with the brown scapula. These are her weapons. Once again, when we become consecrated to the Immaculate, we become part of her militia, her army. And then we got in, in, you know, in uh, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between her seed and your seed. You shall strike at her heel, and she shall crush your head. This is the immaculate. And that's why the devil hates that prayer, the rosary. The rosary, the angelic salutation. At that moment, his head was crushed by a woman, a mere woman. That's why I tell the feminists, you're all a bunch of miserable, miserable beings because you won't accept your role. The greatest person on earth that was created is a woman. It wasn't a man. The Blessed Virgin Mary, what do you complain about? And then what did she do in the, in the eyes of the world? She, she cooked, she cleaned, and she prayed in the past. I tell you, you think you're better than the mother of God? And that's why you're miserable. I tell women, no, you're not supposed. Normally speaking, women are not, shouldn't be working if you're married. Now, people could, well, you say, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a single parent. Of course you have to work then. But normally, God, the devil has gotten there and twisted everything. And so your role as a, as, as a mother is to imitate the mother of God. And you belong home with your children, in the kitchen, cooking, cleaning. Yes, it's beautiful. Sweeping the floor. You think those things, just, according to the world, what did Our Lady do? They say nothing. She was a simple handmaid of the Lord. What'd she do? She cooked, she cleaned once again. But it's not what you do. It's the love that she did. In that life, she's holy and in all the saints and angels combined. Combined. And so the rosary, my friend, when we repeat the angelic salutation, all hell trembles. All hell trembles. Why? Because it reminds them of their condemnation. That they didn't bow down before the queen of heaven and earth. And therefore they're crushed. When we used, I used to go to abortion clinic a lot and, uh, for years. And we'd be out there praying. And, and once in a while, you know, we'd get some girl. She'd, she'd come out and she decided not to go through. And you know how many of them told us all the time? And anybody that goes knows this. They said, you know, those people are going crazy in there because whatever you keep repeating, they drives them nuts. Because the demons, at the name of Jesus and Mary, all hell trembles. Think, And I mean literally trembles. They hate her. They almost hate her in one sense more than God. That sounds crazy, but it's not. Because she said yes, that she's so holy, that her whole will was so one with God that he couldn't touch her. He couldn't get her to sin like he gets us to sin. 
And that's why. So the rosary. Our Lady came to St. Dominic with the rosary. The Albigensian heresy. Nothing could stop it. We had St. Francis. We had great saints alive. They couldn't stop it. And so she told Dominic, the only thing that's going to stop it is the rosary. At Fatima, she told us, the rosary will stop wars and famines. And I tell people all the time, it's true, it did stop the wars and famines. And that means it could stop the wars in your house, in your family, among your, you, your children, your husband, your wife. You pray, you know, Father Payton, the family prays together, stays together. That rosary is the greatest weapon against Satan after the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Pray that rosary. Do many a day. The more you pray, the more you're going to see blessings in your house. And the rosary is also a very contemplative prayer. St. Louis de Montfort says there's two reasons why the rosary should make saints. Why don't we have more saints? He said because, number one, they pray too fast. So don't be rattling off a thousand miles a minute. And you don't have to do it so slow, but do it reverence. And then the second thing, you have to pray, meditate on the mystery that you're praying. And that's it. It's hard. Well, you tell our lady, give you the grace to, to, you keep doing it, you meditate, you could get a book, look at the pictures while you're doing this. And here's one of the most important things she says, St. Louis says, when you pray that rosary, you must pray for the virtue that you're most in need of. So my friends, we all, there's seven prominent, uh, capital sins. Pride, lust, envy, sloth, gluttony, anger, and so on. Those, everyone has one that's prominent in their life. So say you're dealing with anger. When you pray your rosary, you need the opposite virtue, which is meekness. So you say, Blessed Mother, grant me the virtue of meekness abundantly. Pour it on me. And she will. And the scalp, that's what's, what's going to bring about the conversion of the church. We have to be faithful to Our Lady's plan. We got no, no excuse to not pray the rosary. It takes 15 minutes to do it. And I grew up, I had no choice. And I, I didn't like it, I'm not going to lie. Let me tell my mother. I said, but my mother, nobody moved after dinner until that rosary was done. And I thank her for that now. And so she gave us the scapula. Scapula represents the, the habit of Our Lady. And let me tell you something. These things the devil hates. I, I've worked with possessed people. They can't put a scapula on. They're ripping into a hundred pieces. They can't. The devil hates it. Our Lady promises that those that die with the scapula on will not perish. Don't listen to these other people. They put all these other stipulations in. I said, no, Our Lady didn't say that. She said, if you die with the scapula on, you will not perish. She means it. Now, if your intention is you don't want that, well, you know, there's true stories of uh, the six men or whatever, maybe more, they were going to be put before a firing squad. The priest wanted to give them a scapula, and there was one man that really didn't want it, and the priest kind of talked him into putting it, but he really didn't want it. And then when the firing squad came and they shot uh, all the men, somehow when they went to his body, he was the only one. The scapula wasn't on him. It was on the floor. He didn't want it. So it's not this superstition. You know, you got to, of course, believe. Another man had tried, wanted to try to kill himself, all right? And what happened? He tried to drown himself, and he couldn't drown. He kept coming up, floating. He said, what's going on here? Oh, the scapula drew it off. The next time, drowned. 
scapula is powerful. And those that are away from God, they need conversion. The green scapula is a great means for conversion. You got people, your husband's, uh, if he's not living, your wife, I mean, not in the faith, put one under the mattress inside his pillowcase, her pillowcase. Believe me. It's good. And I, I've gotten many people to get the scapula on. It's, you know, tell them about it and they'll do it. Sometimes I told the last person I was in California and her, her grandmother is, uh, no faith, baby, basically agnostic. So I said, I want to go see your mother, grandmother finally. I want to meet her. I know these people for 10 years. Why? My grandmother ain't good. I said, yes, she's going to see me. I said, I'm going to do some prayers with her. I want it. She needs deliverance. She'll never let you pray. I said, you watch. The Blessed Virgin is going to get her and we're going to get her. Let's go. <laughs> And uh, went there. I sent my angel to her angel. And, and then so all of a sudden, this, this, this friend of mine, she's talking, telling the grandmother. That, I said, what, what's going on here? I came here. Pr- I said, Grandma, I came here to do special prayer with you. Can I offer you a special blessing? And she was like, all right. So I did, I did a, lot, so a lot of prayers with her. And she was shocked. And I had to leave. And I didn't have a scapula, so I told I said, you got to give a scapula to your grandmother. I forgot I didn't have one on me that day. So she, uh, she was, what am I going to do? I said, just get a scapula. Tell her that, that priest that was here. So she went. She was nervous. She goes, oh, the priest got this scapula for you. He'd like you to wear it. And he said, told, I said, tell her what the Blessed Mother said. So I, instead of telling her you won't go to hell if you die with on, I said, Blessed Mother said, those that die with this will go, go to heaven. It's not a lie. It's, it's, you know. So she's wearing a scapula now. Who knows what's going to happen? You know, these people will be converted. I believe that. The miraculous medal. They don't call it miraculous for nothing. No reason. They don't. It's miraculous. There's so many miracles attached to the miraculous medal. When I was a friar, I wasn't a priest yet, so they call us friars, brothers. There was a very wealthy benefactor of our order, and his father, he was a convert, and his father was a Lutheran and wouldn't convert. And he was like 89 years old or something. So they had all the priests uh, in the order. None of them can, can get this man to convert. So he, he liked me, this guy, and he said to my superior, can I bring uh, Brother Isaac one day to see my father? Let him try it. So they probably would have told him no, but they won't say no to the big benefactor, you know. So they send, uh, they send me there. I said, well, I'm so I met this, this man, he's in his 80s, and I, so we went, went into his, uh, his, little, his room, and so I just started talking to him like a regular person, you know, and I, I like old people, and they have so much wisdom, and so I told him, got him to share his life, what he did for a living, and, you know, old people like to tell stories, and I like listening, and that's all I did. And in the end, I said to him, Mr. So-and-so, I, I like to give you something. It's up to you. But I ha- see this medal that I wear. I explained it to him. I said, would you wear this? He goes, yeah, I will. I said, would you say this prayer? I had it written out, American Seed Without Sin. He goes, yeah, one month. That's all it was. He was converted, and he died a Catholic in the church. And he died not long after that. So my point is, it wasn't me. It was Our Lady. And so she wants to use you as an instrument. And, and the more you start to realize how important her role is in the spiritual life, that your son and daughter who's away from God, they need graces to be converted. She has them. 
If you were broke right now, I tell people all the time, and you needed money, and I tell you, go to the bank, they're going to give you $10 million. You'd be running over there. I'd see you leave a trail of dust. you break an Olympic record. <laughs> well, she has all the graces that you need to become a saint. She has the graces for your husband and your daughter to convert, whatever it may be. Our Lady... It's so important. She tells us in many apparitions and stuff that, you know, if you have devotion to her, she'll be there for you at the hour of your death. And there's many prayers that you do. I don't know them right in front of me right now, but she promised she'll even, some of the promises that she will appear to you at the moment of your death and she'll usher you into heaven. And this is important. The scapula, once again, is the Sabbatine privilege. I didn't talk about that. So if you die with the scapula on, you will not go to hell. But if you're enrolled in the scapula, and we're going to do that this afternoon, anyone who's not enrolled, what happens is you enroll, you're enrolled into the fraternity, you know, of the brown scapula. If you live a chaste life according to your vocation, and a priest can commute it to one rosary a day, one of the, you know, the mysteries, if you do that every day, if it's commuted, otherwise you've got to do the office of Our Lady, so I, I commute it. She promises that the Saturday after you die, you will be delivered from purgatory. So, you know, if I have to go to purgatory, I hope I die on a Friday night at (laughs) 11.59. (laughs) I probably won't be that fortunate. (laughs) But uh, so, and our lady, that's it. She's so important from the moment we come into the world till we leave. And that's why in, the, in, the, in the, the Hail Mary, when we pray, what do we pray at the end? Every time. Holy Mary, Mother God, what? Pray for us sinners. What? Now and at the hour of our death, amen. My friends, we are living in scary, scary times. And, and, and one thing I promised our Lord that I'm going to have a crusade against hospice. <laughs> they are murdering. They are euthanizing our people. Not all the time hospice. And I'm not talking about there may be some that do it right, but let me tell you, they're murdering people. And I've seen it happen. It's disgusting. And so be careful when you, uh, because they say, oh, I can't afford a nursing home, so Medicare will pay for a hospice to come to your house. But guess what? The church has rules when someone's dying. And this is why it's so important to be dedicated to Our Lady. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Because what happens is, is hospice, not all the time, but a lot, what they're doing is they deny food and water, which is called ordinary means. And one of the most horrible ways anyone can die is to be dehydrated. If you're dehydrated, your body's on fire. And then, and they, what they do is they start giving you morphine, because morphine will kill your appetite, so you stop eating. And then it starts working, breaking down your organs. And then, and then they tell you all these lies. Why well, we can't? You couldn't get an IV line in him now, because or her, whatever it is, or because their veins—they won't get a vein. That's nonsense. You got a hundred thousand miles of veins in your body. You hear me? One hundred thousand. If you stretched all your veins out, it'd go a hundred thousand miles. And they have specialists in the hospital that can get a vein. I know a doctor, his mother was dehydrated. She was ready, just about on the verge of death. And it took the doctor an hour. He found the vein. She lived a year, a whole year after that. And then they tell you these lies. Well, if we give him an IV, he'll, it will drown him. 
What nonsense. They give you an IV. It's a drop at a time. A drop at a time. The doctor says, what do you think? They're going to shove a hose down his throat and just turn on the fire hydrant? It's nonsense. So they got it, but these people buy into all these lies. And then here's the thing. When you're on your deathbed, you don't want to be being pumped up. The church says you can be sedated till you're comfortable, but you don't want to go beyond that where you can't make acts of faith, hope, and love and repentance. The most important moment of your life is when you're dying. And if you're of mind, you're out of your mind. What if you're a mortal sin and you're out of your mind? And you die like that. You're going to go to hell. You can't, like, you know, you need to make that perfect. If a priest ain't there, you need to make a perfect act of love, which is a big miracle. But the whole point that I'm telling you, this is, Our Lady is so important from the moment you come into the world to the moment you leave. I have parents, and when mothers conceive a baby, they say, I'm pregnant. I say, okay, let's get do the ritual right now. Consecrate the baby in your womb to the Blessed Virgin. And we pray that, that our lady owns that baby now. We'll bring the baby to the baptismal font. And then we'll be with that baby throughout the whole, the whole life at the moment of death so that it won't be euthanized. This is going on, my friends. And I, they got websites out there now. People are fighting this. But it's getting more and more and more. You better make sure that if you, uh, these living wills are very dangerous. Because they lock you into a situation sometimes that is not good. You better make sure the proxy that you have better not be your husband who has no faith. <laughs> Say, oh, yeah, yeah, get rid of her. <laughs> Speed it up. Give her some more morphine. <laughs> you know, I got a nice insurance policy on her. You know? Oh, don't think it doesn't happen. And so pray to Our Lady that you will die a holy death. This is important. So I hope I brought out, you know, how important it is that Our Lady, that we not only realize her role in our spiritual life, but that she is our model. She is a contemplative of all contemplatives. She pondered these things in her heart. Our Lady was a walking crucifix, a walking crucifix with her son. No, no slave is greater than the master. Our Lord was crucified. We too must be crucified. We can't go to heaven without suffering. And we can't suffer without Our Lady. She has all the graces we need. Uh, David in his talk, he said a beautiful thing. He said, pray to God that you will love the cross that he puts on your shoulder. Because the cross is hand carved for your shoulder. Nobody has the same cross. Nobody. I, and, and I don't know, I think it was a little flower. I heard this story. Uh, God showed her, I think, all these crosses from this little tiny one to gigantic. Uh, Teresa, what cross do you want to carry for me? And what do you think the, she did? She went for the giant one, the biggest one. He goes, put that down. That's for the married couples. You go get that. You go get the little one over there. <laughs> and you're all laughing because most of you are married, and you know it's true. And so... That cross may be your husband. That cross may be your, your, your wife, your children. But I'm going to reveal to you, really not. You know what the biggest cross in your life is? You. <laughs> you are the biggest cross you have to carry. You have to, you know, beat that ego down. You have to do that. And you can't do it without the virgin. And that's why it's so beautiful. You can never read the story of Fatima enough. You know, when, when Susan gave her talk... 
I could hear that story over and over again. How blessed they were, those little seers, to grow up in a Catholic town like that. They had no worries. Like she said, today you can't even let your children go in your front yard, even if you have a gate up or a wall, because somebody may come and kidnap them. So they, when you start studying all these things and you read, but Our Lady, she's the key. Study Fatima, study the other apparitions, beg her every day. She let her hold your hand. She, once again, too, is, she has a glorified body in heaven. She's in heaven. When she appeared to Catherine Laborator and she was sitting in the chair, her angel woke her up and he brought her down the steps. And when she was coming down the steps, all the lights went on. And then they opened up the door and there was a lady in the sanctuary sitting in the chair. And she had St. Catherine come to her, and St. Catherine had the, the greatest grace. She put her head on Our Lady's lap. It's a real body, <laughs> you know. And she's there for you. She loves you. She suffered for you at the cross. She gave birth to you spiritually. She's more your mother than your biological mother. Go to her and lead others to her. Become, help the Fatima Center, spread the message of Fatima so that people will come to Our Lady, know her message. Pray. Once again, remember what I told you yesterday, St. Francis de Sales said the two greatest gifts to pray for is the gift of divine love and love for souls. So the more you love Our Lady, the more you're going to love her children. And her children is every human being out there. Like, we can't be obnoxious people. We're not going to win people over to the faith by beating them over the head. Yeah, we got to tell the truth. But the thing is, you're going to lead people to Christ more by your actions. And so do you imitate the Blessed Virgin? She's your role model. And she, and if you're not, say, Blessed Mother, I need help. You know, If you're going to go talk to someone, you want to help them with the faith, say, Blessed Mother, go into prayer. Say, what, what do you want me to tell this person? What what can I do to help bring this person to you, to the church? She will guide you, and she will get you there. And so when you consecrate yourself to the Blessed Virgin, she's there's so many things that are going to happen. So many people will get to heaven, because no one goes to heaven alone, and no one goes to hell alone. So when you're all those little merits that you receive every day, the moment you wake up, every time, all the graces you receive, all the merits, I mean, that you accumulate and you give to Our Lady, she won't let you know now how many people were saved because of your sacrifices. But she will when you go to the judgment, when you go before Jesus Christ, and you're going to be standing there. You, your angel will be there to give an account, and if you've been devoted to Our Lady, she will be there to defend you. She will be there to defend you. And it will go much, <laughs> very well for you. So we want to be there. We want her at our side. I want to tell one more story. It's just come to my head because it's beautiful. There's many people too. Unfortunately, we know people maybe that have committed suicide and have despaired. One of the most spectacular stories, another one, John Vianney. And it's worth saying, repeating, he was walking down by the train one day and he seen this lady and he went up to her and he said, don't worry, your husband's with God. She says, no, no. She started crying. You don't know. He goes, your husband's in heaven. No, no. And he said, yes. He knew what happened. He said, between the bridge and the water, God granted him the grace to make a perfect act of love. And the perfect act of love, once again, not only washes away all your sins, 
but it also does away with all temporal punishment. And so, so he jumped off. He jumped off the bridge. This man. He tried to commit suicide. And so you know when you jump off a bridge, you hit that water pretty quick, even if it's 200 feet. Back then, it's probably not that big. But the bottom line is God gave him that grace. So that perfect act of love is where you love God so much you don't want to offend him ever. It's not because you're, you can't be mixed with a fear of going to hell. And you accept God's will in all things. Okay? And you know why it was revealed? John Vianney said why he received that grace. Because he brought flowers to the Blessed Virgin once. She doesn't forget anything. She's a very solicitous mother, just like the first miracle that was performed. When was it performed? Public miracle performed of our Lord. It was at Cana. But it was at the request of the mother of God. And, and, and what did she do once again? Do what he tells you. And that's all. And so, you know, I go on and on. I remember when I first once again started praying to Our Lady because I understood her role finally and I started, I was getting on, falling in love with her and then I was thinking, maybe I'm going too far and I was a little nervous. I said, I don't want to, you know, she's not God and so I went to this priest and I'll never forget what he told me. He told me, he says, listen, St. Maximilian Colby says, uh, when, you uh, when you start to love her more than Jesus, you could worry. When you start to love Our Lady more than Jesus, then you could start to worry. In other words, Jesus' love is infinite. Nobody could love his mother like he does. In other words, you can't love her enough. You can't. We don't worship her. We give her a veneration, hyperdulia. So don't be afraid of loving her. The more you love her, the more God is pleased with you. The more you love her, the more you're going to love God. The closer you are to her, the closer you're going to be to the Holy Trinity. And that's it. So I pray here that everyone will consecrate themselves, their children, people that they know that are astray, to Our Lady. And that when you get to your judgment, once again, I didn't finish, I guess, God is going to reveal to you all those sacrifices that you made. Anything, could be anything, doing a, a, a nice deed, just smiling at someone you don't like. Doing, you know, helping an old lady across the street, you know, whatever it is, he'll show, she will show you. Because you did that and offer that to me, look at the fruits of your work. Look at all the people that were saved, that made it to heaven because of what you did. It's beautiful. So I pray that we all hear those words from our Lord on our judgment. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. We give you thanks, O oh my God, for all your blessings, for you live and reign forever. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, as was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. The Lady of Fatima, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this presentation, brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. We invite you to visit our website, www.fatima.org. Immaculate Heart of Mary, or Pro Nobis.